It is a delight to be with you, ladies. How are you this morning? Close to this afternoon. Uh, do y'all get a lunch break soon? Thank the Lord for the lunch break. How many mamas are in here? Can I just have a mom moment? I love what we do, right, as mamas and ministers. It's not easy. It comes with its challenges. And then we get up and we're like, hey, everything's going great. Well, my son was good this whole time. We had an hour. He could have taken a bowel movement if he wanted during that time. He decides to do it five minutes before I got to come up here. My husband's like, okay, Jimmy's going to smell. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I'm literally running. I'm like, Bridget, talk if you have to. But we made it. But uh, anyways, just a mommy moment. Sometimes we have to unload, let other people know. Um, they understand our, our pain and our trials. Amen. Really quick, uh, really excited to be with you guys. Also excited to come out to Time Apart in September. So looking forward to that. If there is one event I love other than leadership and pastors and ministering to other leaders, it's women. Uh, I feel that that's something the Lord has placed clearly on my heart and he's given me a clarion call to be a spiritual midwife. And you may say, spiritual midwife, what do you mean by that? We'll talk a little bit about that later. But I truly believe God has called us in these times to be women that are not just sisters, but we're midwives and we struggle through the process with our our fellow sisters in Christ, and we help them birth what they need a birth without realizing that when you do that for someone else, God begins to awaken the child and baby inside of you. Um, so in that whole process, that's why I'm looking forward to September. I believe God's already dropped a word in my spirit for you. And so come out, make plans, bring your girlfriends, your sisters, uh, your, the whole clan, the whole tribe, bring them. We're going to have a great time. Uh, back there at our table, and I'm actually right next to Pastor Bridget's table, the the women's ministries, so you can't miss me right there. I've got a book that I published a few years ago. It is called The Day the Princess Cried, and it's literally a, a biblical narrative on the book of Lamentations. If you ever read, I'm an English major, I uh, have a PhD in rhetoric. I have to preface that because then you'll know why I wrote it this way. Um, but when I read the book of Lamentations, all the language, the metaphors, the similes, uh, everything was just de depicting the people of God as prisoners, as a prison, uh, a princess that that fell by her own choice, her own sin of idolatry, into a prison of her own doing. And so as I was reading that several years back, the Lord began to deal with me and say, this is the condition of the female heart today, that though she looks like she's got the crown on her head and everything's good and she has authority over her life and situation, even over her ministry, there are some secret dungeons inside that are keeping her captive and keeping her from walking out her purpose and freedom. And anytime that we are bound or stuck in something, uh, even like I spoke in the first session, the, the, the disappointments, the offenses, that comes even in ministry, even as a pastor and a pastor's wife, you see it firsthand. You're in ministry, you're in the, on the front lines, and you go through these things. So any of those things can hold us back from living out our purpose. So if, if you would like to enrich your life and go deeper in the book of Lamentations, it's coupled with a study guide inside of here you can use for a small group. It's really easy to go through. Or if you just have a, a friend, a young girl, a young woman, I would go as far as saying 16 and up, teen girls could read this and capture the message from it. Uh, I encourage you to stop by the table. I'll be back there. Would love to meet you. And if nothing else, just come give me a high five or a hug. Um, I, I love to give hugs. So um, if, if I reach in like this, don't be like, it, just embrace, just hug. All right. But stop by and see me and you'll get a free hug and maybe even a free smile from Jay David. He's, he's giving out free smiles today. Amen. If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to have it on the screen too, or if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2.10. What a privilege it is to work with women um, 
in ministry, in God's great mission on this earth, which is his church. Uh, I was talking to Sister Donna Barrett uh, some time back, and we have 24, 25% of our ministers, credentialed ministers in the AG are women. I don't know if you don't, if you have credentials or if you don't, but if you don't, may I just fan that little flame inside of you? Let's start that process. We need more women. We might be a fourth of the pie, but mamas, we've got a lot more territory we can take. God has uniquely gifted us with a unique perspective, an approach, the way we approach certain situations because of our femininity. And I think the body of Christ can use that and needs that at this hour. So Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Romans 12.1 also says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Say that with me. Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So as I look at these verses, I see, first of all, that God had us, you and I, on his mind, even, as Ephesians says, before the foundations of the earth. He, he chose us. He handpicked us and for a good work that he had prepared for us in advance. Even before you said yes to the call, yes to God for salvation, yes to ministry, God already had you in mind. He knew what the B, the C, the D, the points, and the, the mile markers in your life journey was going to be, and he chose you for it. He knew you were the woman for it. And not only that, but in Romans, it clearly, the writer encourages us that now that you're on this path of ministry, offer your life, offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's our act of worship. I was reading an article by Dr. Dr. Marsha Graham. She wrote an article titled, Living Healthy as an Act of Worship. And she writes, a Christian worldview believes that worship is how we interact with God all day long. Hmm. I guess so that means that's not just when I'm behind the pulpit or the, the platform or the desk with all my students and kids or uh, at a youth camp. That, that's, that could be while I'm doing the dishes or preparing dinner or changing the dirty diaper. How we interact with God all day long, including how we treat his temple, the body, soul, and spirit, all of that is our act of worship. And as a leader, I want just to remind you, we're not designed to be 24-7 ministry machines. I know as women, I'm a type A personality, if there's any kindred spirits here, we got to remind ourselves of that every day. We're not supposed to always have the answer or be in control of the situation, and it's okay. We're not a machine. I want you to think. There on your paper where you're taking notes, I want you to jot down quickly. What are the different roles that you occupy? And there's a pie chart. If we can go to that, that next slide. I just put one up there. Uh, some of us are married. Some of us are single. Some of us are still in school. Some of us are entrepreneurs. We have jobs. Some of us are pastors, leaders, um, bivocational. Some of us employees. Some of us stay-at-home moms. All of that can be overwhelming. We have so many titles and positions and roles in our life. And when God allows us to be a leader, he's not just putting the spiritual, the thing you got your degree in, the thing that has your title at, at, after the comma, after your name. He's not just using that. When God gives you a ministry, it's because he wants to put your marriage, your children, your education, your dreams on a platform for his glory, to bring him glory. He wants to use all of you, mama. 
all of you women of God, not just the ministry position. And so if we shortchange any of these areas, guess what? Our capacity will be diminished. Our influence will be cut short. It's important that we give attention to all these areas in our life. So first of all, I'm going to go through some of these areas. Let's look at our spiritual life. I know I may be preaching to the choir, but hey, even sometimes the choir needs to remember. Let's keep our, let's keep our fuel intact. In March chapter 6, we find Jesus and the disciples, and he's in transit between various situations and scenes, and they were so busy. And Jesus tells them in Mark 6.31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I just don't have time, Jesus. Don't you see the revival happening? Don't you see all these people coming? We're just coming and going, and we're doing And how can you be around Jesus, I think as I read this passage, listening to his teaching, listening to his wisdom, sitting at his feet, witnessing the feeding of 5,000, and still go hungry. But it happens. It happens in ministry. It happens when you see revival going on in your church. It happens while you're doing ministry rather than being the church. Going and coming. Checking off our to-do list, opening and closing down, cleaning up, tidying up the chairs, setting up, practicing, studying, all around while we are surrounding ourselves with exercises that we have to do for God. Sometimes we get to the point that we are starving inside because we stop eating. We keep filling the bucket and filling the vessel to take water to somebody else without knowing that that vessel we need to eat as well. Because if we do not fill our own spirit, then we will create an anorexic generation that is malnourished because we're just giving them whatever we have the strength to give them. You see, it's out of the overflow and out of the abundance of what the Lord does in your heart. Out of that overflow is where people get healed. Out of that overflow is where that message comes. Out of that overflow is where healing comes to other individuals. Priscilla Shire says this, one of my favorite pastors and preachers. The antidote to exhaustion is intimacy. Intimacy. If we don't take care of our spiritual life leaders, we're going to malnourish those that we serve. And we're going to give them a bad concept. We need young girls to be raised up in ministry and want to go after it. We need young men, young boys that are ready to be those that are sons and daughters that prophesy the things that are on God's heart. But if they do not see it in action, if they get a malnourished diet, uh, just something fast food, because that's all we could manage because we were so busy and God came last or, or that thing came last in our time with the Lord, then we're going to raise them up to to set in the same patterns. The habits you set, you are setting a precedence for them. So that should be our ministry, our sermon prep time, our class time. That is over and above our spiritual devotional time with God. That does not a substitute. It does not replace it. Guard your personal devotional time like Deborah and like Jael. Guard it. I'm, I'm serious. That violent. Because if you break down, doesn't matter what you communicate, everything else begins to break down after it. you got to feed your spirit. We'll never see transformation in our ministries if it's not happening in us on a daily basis. Our ministry will always be a reflection of our inner spiritual state. And so we've got to wake up every morning and align our heart with his. As I stepped into this season of motherhood, Remember, type A personality, always used to 15 years of, you know, Melissa, go, get up, let's go, let's do, get on a flight, let's minister. I could spend two hours in the throne room of God and the presence with my face on the ground. I mean, you could do all these things because it was just me and my husband. 
I get a kid and my whole world changes. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I can't even pray for 15 minutes without him crying. And I remember feeling in mourning, and I hope that, don't misunderstand this at all, because I am so grateful to the blessing God sent, and he sent it at the right time. And I believe he sent it to also teach me a greater lesson. But I remember being in mourning saying, I miss that old season. Can I have the old season, the old way I used to move and operate and think and do, still with him in it? but I need that old season. And I remember the Lord just tapping me on the shoulder. You cannot replicate this season in an old season. You can't try to repeat it and live out what you did then in this season because you're not in that season. This season is a new season and you have to embrace it. And so you know what, and I I say this to, I talk to under 40 moms and they're trying to balance ministry and life. They're planning a church and they got their kids and they're little and they're like, I don't have time to pray. And I'm like, you know what? I had to do it to where now the way I pray is different. I pray with my eyes open and walking around my baby like this. Oh, in the name of Jesus. I mean, it's just me and him. He doesn't, it's not going to make a difference. And I tell you, it didn't make sense to me till one day I got my worship music going on. I'm in the spirit, eyes open, making sure he's not falling. And all of a sudden, I, I'm on one end of the, my room or the area I pray. He's on the other. And I looked at him and he looks at me like, I'm watching you, mama. And all of a sudden, he puts his hand up, and he goes, oh, oh. And, I mean, that, he may not understand what he's doing, but it's beginning there. And had I let this season change that, I got to do it differently, but it's okay. I still do it. It's, change, it's leaving a mark and an imprint on him. So we've got to take care of our spiritual life. Number two, we've got to take care of our relational life, our relationships. I know many of us might be in different uh, seasons, some married, some with children, some no children, some empty nests, some single. Regardless of where you are, there are, we are wired as relational beings. God created us for relationship. It happened in the garden in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. He, he created Adam and Eve to have fellowship and intimacy with him. And so God created, he wired us to want to have that connection with others and family and friends are the best support system we have though sometimes those are the last ones we run to because we get consumed with work 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 ministry 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 we can't do ministry alone harvard study a harvard study i read stated that just by having healthy relationships in your life you live longer they found even people who had unhealthy practices in their lifestyle, their diet, their nutrition, they actually lived longer because they had healthier relationships than their counterparts that didn't. So the quote came in, they said, it's better to eat cookies with friends than to eat vegetables alone. Hey, hallelujah, I love that. I was like, yes, give me some friends and a big bag of cookies. We can do that. And ice cream too, why we do that. So first of all, if you're married, let's take care of our first ministry which is our spouse. That is your first ministry. I know some of us maybe can preach circles around other people and you do great in your ministry, but that's the first one God gave you. What was the first institution that God gave? It was in the Garden of Eden. It was marriage. Then later came the church. We can't lose the intimacy with our spouse. We have to make our spouse a priority. What does this mean? Schedule date night. Schedule a regular date night, not one every six months or because it's somebody's birthday. Okay, now we'll go out. No, make it, be intentional about it. And when you're there, if you've got kids, find a babysitter. Because then everything we do, and I'm learning this, becomes about that little boy. Every conversation, we're sitting down having coffee and we stop talking about each other. And I was like, wait a minute, we don't like this. 
because we're, we're still here. 18 years, and then little JD, if the Lord's coming, Terry, he's going to go have his life, and he's going to probably fall in love with some other girl, and Jesus, the devil is a liar. Oh, I don't think so. I'm not ready for that yet. Not ready for mother-in-law season. But guess who's going to still be in the home? My husband and I. And we could get so consumed even with raising a child that we lose our identity as one. So when you go on a date, look in your spouse's eyes. Don't talk about home. Don't talk about, oh, you need to fix the pipes. They're broken and you need to do this. No. Talk about each other's dreams. Be his biggest cheerleader. Speak life into him. Encourage him. Fuel each other and fall in love all over again. This is our first ministry. Secondly, if you have children, don't give your children a bad concept of ministry. How you respond to the, I know the thing out there being in leadership and ministry is always, well, we're always on call. You know, if somebody could call, we got to go make a hospital run or we got to go pray for someone that's sick. We got to go do something. Don't give them a misconception of ministry by even your attitude or how you say that you're going to respond to those things. We got to go. Yeah, you know that sister. They hear everything. We can give them the most, the healthiest picture of ministry just by the way we respond to our ministry. Guess what, buddy? There's someone sick, but God has given us power to lay hands on them. We're going to go pray. If your kids have to come along with you, you're going to come along with us. We're going to have a great time. We've got to make time. And then also, it can't always be church to church to church, ministry, ministry, ministry. Watch your language and watch how you're spending your time. Be intentional about making time with your kids, whether it's movie night, game night, pizza night. Yeah, you can eat all junk food you want tonight. Daddy will take care of you in the morning anyways. Have fun time with them that they know you're connecting with them. Do not risk, run the risk of losing your family while you build a ministry. Also friends, whether you're single or even if you're married and with family, we all need friends. I remember when my husband and I first started pastoring this church, it was an affluent church. We're talking 500 plus by the time we got there. It had been in existence 65 years already. So it, it already had the ground running. It was doing well for itself. And when we came in, it was such a lonely place because there was so many transitions. We come in six months later, the previous pastor that had been the main and only pastor for the majority, almost 90% of the congregation there, passes away. So that matri- or that patriarch dies. So we're going through that grieving. First the transition of a new pastor, then the, the one that many of them still consider their pastor is gone. And it was just transition after transition. And I remember praying one day and I was like, God, ministry is a lonely place. Because sometimes as women, and I was just speaking to a youth pastor just last week, and she's going through post, post, um, postpartum depression. She has a one-year-old and she feels like she's just now going through this. And thriving minister. You wouldn't see this because she doesn't, she hides it very well. But over coffee, she just starts breaking down and saying, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to be vulnerable. I don't want people to see me. I'm a leader that I'm weak and that I'm going through this emotional and mental crisis. What do I do? I said, you got to have friends around you that you can open up to. Obviously, as leaders, you're not going to open up to everybody, but you've got to have someone you open up to. I remember during that season in our life where God said, Melissa, you want friends? You start interceding and praying for those kind of friends that you want, and I'll bring them. And even pray for them. There were certain ladies that I had connected with, pastor's wives, uh, certain ones that not only lived in my town but outside. And God just put in my heart 12. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was a spiritual thing. There was 12 disciples. I don't know, but he just dropped 12 women in my heart. I wrote them in my prayer journal. I never told them that they were on that list. I had a list. Every Tuesday, I began to intercede for these women. 
I knew on surface level some of their marriages, their families, their churches, what they might be going through. And so I began to pray for them. And as I did, it was literally, I mean, only God does this. He set up appointments where now many of those, they're that inner circle women. When I had my baby and went through a a rough time with my C-section, I could call them crying. I didn't have to be Miss Melissa Preacher and one that has it all together. I was crying saying, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. What, What are these emotions I'm feeling? Because I had that safety net of people to go to. Friends, and even if you're single, they will protect you from even giving in to those temptations. They will, they will be the dream whispers that you need in the moments you want to give up, the moments you can be transparent with, the, the moment that you're thinking of if you're single going into a relationship, they will speak truth and love to you. Like, yes, this is awesome. This is great. Or, hey, girl, are you crazy? Have you prayed? You know, you're not hearing from the Spirit right now. And you can take that from them. Because there's that relationship and that intimacy. I would even encourage you with those friends, make it intentionality again. That's what it is in leadership and in ministry. Be intentional about saying, hey, once a month or once every two months, we're going to connect. Maybe some don't live in the same state or city you do, but you connect by phone, FaceTime, somehow. If you do live in the same town, let's go get coffee. And not always make it just about talking about ministry. Sometimes you do need that to, it's your therapy, it's your relief. But aside from that, talk about life. Don't just connect with people and it's always ministry because then you're going to eventually lose them. Be real. Have life with them. Do life with them. Amen? Are we on the same page? All right. Number three, we've got to take care of our physical life. And that's our health. And I'm not a dietitian or nutritionist. Don't, I'm not going to tell you what to eat or not to eat or how many jumping jacks to do. No. But I will tell you, if you want longevity and stamina in your ministry, you do have to take care of your body. We won't last. We're not invincible. It's hard to sow and grow seeds of potential if we don't have the physical stamina to keep up with it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You see, when God calls us to live out this life of faith, he also calls us to steward our temple, even our body. Well, it's an act of worship. Ministry is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And each of us are running our own race. And if we're not careful, low energy, lethargy, uh, emotional instability, sickness can interrupt that race at any given moment and uninvited or could cause us to abort our race prematurely because we just couldn't keep up with the demands. Sometimes we can call the symptoms we feel. I grew up in ministry. I'm a PK, and I remember sometimes my mom or dad feeling certain symptoms. And sometimes it was the devil. It was an attack of the enemy. And sometimes it was just like, Dad, you need to push away a little bit from the table, that high blood pressure or, you know, what you're dealing with. It's not always an attack of the enemy. Sometimes it's bad stewardship of what God's given us. So the reality is we've got to take care of our body. And that doesn't just include the health. Ladies, we have to rest. Look at what Barbara Brown Taylor says. She addresses the reality of why many choose not to rest in an article entitled The Idol of Exhaustion. She says, I do not mean to make an idol of health, but it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. Jesus. The only time we know we've done enough is when we're running on empty or when the ones we love most are the ones we see the least or when we lie down to sleep at night and we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer believing that God, who is as busy as we are, will surely understand. 
You know, Jesus says in Matthew eleven thirty four, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We must realize that resting takes an act of faith and surrender, especially to the woman that's like, I can do it all. I can do it all for my husband, for my kids, for my grandkids, for whoever, for ministry, for my pastor, my leaders. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. It's a lack. It, you got to humble your ego when you learn to rest in God. Because you've got to trust that even if you didn't get it all done in that day, even if it didn't happen, you didn't get the results you thought you were going to get, you can still trust him with the harvest results. That he's still going to step in and he can do what only he can do. So we have to crucify our indispensability and lean more fully on God. Rest is not being careless. It's not binging on Netflix for eight hours straight and be like, God, I'm resting. I'm just rest catching up on my Game of Thrones right now. Lord, thank you. Okay, now we know that is not resting. All right? That is spiritual obesity right there. No, we've got to rest in him. And resting sometimes, ladies, it's okay to say no. You don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to delegate. Why do you have a team around you? No, not so you can be, you know, bossy and tell them what to go and do, but so you can empower them and then let them run and give them some authority to actually run with. Because sometimes we delegate and then we come right behind and be like, oh, thank you for doing that. That was wonderful. How do you think they feel? So what do we do? We delegate authority too. And we allow them to run with their God-given talents. It's not going to look just like you would do it. It's not going to smell or taste like just you would do it. But it's going to be just as it needs to be for that moment if you'll surrender it to God. Amen? Dr. Bradford says, My simple rule of thumb is to sleep nightly, stop weekly, and escape annually. How many could say amen to that? If you don't take vacations, it's time to take a vacation you don't sleep regularly, you need to start that tonight. Do you also go up an hour tonight? Oh, Jesus, help us. Yeah. My husband was telling our congregation last Sunday, next Sunday I might be kind of grouchy in my message. (laughs) We all, we got to get our sleep and stop weekly. I would say if you have a day or even an evening or a time in your week that it's not, you're not doing work, you're not doing ministry, you're just fueling yourself. You're doing self-care. What that is, only you know. You like to run. You like to write. You like to do antiquing. You like to do uh, DIY projects at home. Whatever it is that is therapy for you. You know what I learned a few years ago that was therapy for me? Don't laugh, guys. It was couponing. I was that crazy coupon lady. Oh, I could tell you that It was therapy for me. So there was one day I would sit down and cut and, you know, do my research online, and I would go to the store, and my bill would be like 50 bucks, and I would leave with only paying five bucks. That happened a few times. And I was like, woo! That was my therapy. Okay, let's go back into ministry. We're ready. Because that was my therapy. Whatever it is, you got to disconnect sometimes. Disconnect from the project, whatever you're doing, and find that rest. Number four, we got to take care of our emotional state. Our emotional state. 2 Corinthians 4.8 says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Leadership usually means that at some point you're going to get hurt. I think it was T.D. Jakes that said, Sometimes we're leading while bleeding. It happens. 
We don't mean for it to happen. And no matter how much we guard or protect ourselves, there's going to be moments it hurts. I remember even in ministry when we first got there, you know, there's transition, there's changes, there's fresh blood. And sometimes with that, not everybody's on board and happy and bye-bye, we'll see you later. And I remember there was one particular couple I was like, man, I know we didn't really like them. No, just kidding. <laughs> they, they were kind of the wolf in the pack of sheep. But even when they came to say their dismissal goodbye, it hurt. You still felt it because you feel like, God, I'm here to steward and, and lead your sheep to greater pastures to what you have. And we knew they weren't going to be on that journey. So we can be talented and have impressive ministry skills, but without inner fortitude to step up to the plate or emotional ability to cope with risks and criticisms that come, we probably won't be able to lead for very long. Leadership takes, I like this, both missional courage and emotional capacity. You got to have missional courage and emotional capacity. And this is what separates effective leaders from the rest. When it comes to ministry leadership, we got to watch our gauges, kind of like the gas tank, kind of like the, the meters that you read on your car when you get in. Are my tires low? Are they getting flat? Is my gas level okay? You got to check your emotional gauges too. Am I feeling burned out? Am I tired? Am I depressed? Am I frustrated? Is my strength, am I emotionally depleted? Am I unstable? Am I going through a crisis and know how to step? back and get your bearings again. Get your bearings in Christ. Get around people, a support system, because we're vulnerable to these attacks, even more so because we're leaders. That's why we've got to build healthy emotional capacity and emotional resilience. If not, what happens, girls? We become callous to our call and disconnected emotionally from the people we love and the ministries we're supposed to lead. You can't lead them if you're disconnected. So every time we are confronted with a problem, we got to approach it this way. You got to focus on the greatness of your God and not on the greatness or the immensity of that problem. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because victory has already been won and he has the necessary strength that whether he's going to deliver you or make you walk through the, the high waters or the, or the fire, whatever it is, he's not leaving your side. Number two, Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. So that means we, it might be out of our hands and out of our reach, but it's never out of God's reach. And Hebrews eleven six, remember that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'll tell you one thing that I learned through this whole process that we went through, uh, the miscarriage, losing our child, which by the way, I forgot to say it this morning. So we lose a child on Christmas day. And then four years later, guess when J. David was born on Good Friday. Can I tell you how redemptive that is that God does that? He redeems it. He makes it so much better to let you know that he's in, in charge. Well, emotional stability, how do we keep that? You gotta, you gotta walk with the Holy Spirit. And you got to allow the Holy Spirit to be the governing influence of your life. I know we teach it all, and we know it here. But do we know it in our feet? Do we know it in our hands? Do we know it in the decisions we make? Holy Spirit's our counselor. When you need someone to talk to, talk it out to the Holy Spirit. There was a pastor one time, I was reading a book, and he mentioned in there, he said that when he was super stressed and he was upset with someone, he goes, I would go to the prayer closet and I would just tell God everything that I had on my mind. You got to let it out sometimes. You got to know where you can let it out so you don't cause collateral damage with other people. Because even sometimes we could think, I can go tell so-and-so. They're mature. They'll take it. But I have this fear in me that if I'm ever making someone else look bad in the eyes of someone else, I'm going to have to give account of that to God. 
and there's a fear in me. I don't want to do that. So God, I'll come to you and I'll be honest and I'll tell you everything. And then just like David, how did David start some of those Psalms? Man, God, bring fire, swallow them up in the earth. And then when you get to the very end of the Psalm, what does he say? Search me and know me. Know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. See, because talking to God will always change your perspective. Let the Holy Spirit also guide you into all truth. Let the Holy Spirit be the one to, to just direct you. And also to bring transformation to you. If they're, to convince you whether it's of sin or just another path you need to take. Let him direct you. Let him play an active role in your life. And then we also have number five, our mental aspect. And on this, I want to talk a little bit about dreams and goals. Are you still dreaming, women? Do you still have goals that are up there and each year you're building on that and going towards that? Something fresh you're headed to or do you feel you've already arrived and you're just coasting? When we stop dreaming, we stop growing, ladies. I want you on your piece of paper. The next slide should give us an example of this, but it's called the dream gap. Three columns. On the left side, I want you to write down what do you expect right now? What's a dream you have in your ministry or in your ministry role? What is that big dream? And just in a sentence, one thing of, you know, it's this. And then I want you to go to the far right. What are you currently experiencing? What's your reality? And then I want you to think, what is that dream gap? What do I have to do? What are practical steps I have to do to close the dream gap and make my expectation a reality? I see some of you taking part, so I want to give you some time. When I think of that dream gap, I always remember the parable of the talents. Because the three individuals, they're each given different amounts of talents, and then when the, the owner comes back, and he says to the one that he gave one talent to, you know, why didn't you do like these others? Why didn't you even get interest for it? And his words were, I was afraid. You see, fear will be the thing that will keep that gap present in your life and ministry. Or it will even cause a greater hiatus between the two. Don't let fear come to you. Whatever the Lord's directing you to do, you know what a step of faith is? When you begin to put practical steps to it and you just live it out. Even when it's not happening, even when you don't see those, that end result or that end product happening, you continue to take steps that move you towards that. You partner with God. That takes faith and obedience. Some of you might be finishing a degree, finishing school. It might be writing a book, putting together that worship CD, putting together a curriculum. Maybe that's on your heart. Maybe planning an event of a certain kind that the Lord's placed in your heart. Whatever it is, you know how God knows he can trust you with it? if you start taking step towards it. He'll do the supernatural end. He'll do the other stuff. You just do what you can do. Amen? Lastly, generational. I know this isn't part of our physical body, but I believe that each of us as women, we've got to have a generational mindset. Can God trust you to steward the harvest and share the process with the next generation? Who are you mentoring right now? 
if you were to step down and retire tomorrow, and some of you might be 20, 30, and you're like, I just started, but let's just, just imagine with me. Who would you pass this on to? Who could stand, step into the reins and take this even higher than what you did? If you don't have someone in the wing already, and I'm not saying just an understudy that you tell them every little thing you want to do. No, someone you are developing a gift in, someone you are fanning the flame inside of them, a Timothy, if you will. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 1. It tells the story of Moses' birth, but before then, it talks about two special women that we don't preach a lot about them, Shifra and Pua. Exodus 1 verse 15 says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous. They give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the widows feared God, he gave them families of their own. They took a bold risk to save these babies. They were risking their very own life. But God saw it and God covered them and took care of them that no harm came to them. And when they least expected it, maybe they thought that their mission was just to help other women have children. God said, I'm going to bless the seed of your womb as well. Because you did for someone else. You stood in the gap for someone else. You were in the process. What does the midwife do? My great-grandmother was a midwife in her village. And the women of that town, she never had a medical degree. It was a very humble village. But people knew her. Go with Matilda. Go with Matilda on the hill. She'll help you deliver your baby. I don't know how many babies she delivered. There were some summers that we were there visiting her in her country. And, and when we would get there, sometimes a, a woman would come in, and you knew, like, something's about to happen. And she would just close the little curtain. Children, go outside, go play outside. And we knew, and we would hear the shrieks, and then the baby cry. She was a midwife. And that is just, it impacted me because I said, Lord, I want to be a spiritual midwife. Because it's ugly. If you've ever had a baby or been in a delivery room, it is ugly. You see everything. You see the beautiful side of when the baby comes out, but you see the ugly side of the pain. And you were right next to that person, rooting them on, saying, you can do this. You keep pushing. I'm not leaving your side until you deliver this baby. I believe in what's inside of you. It's greater than the pain you're enduring right now. And we need spiritual midwives in our churches, in our ministries, that will stand along women, other women, maybe of the same age or even young girls, and say, I am not leaving you no matter how many times you get rebellious, no matter how many times you roll your eyes, no matter how many times you kind of play church back and forth and you were here for a month and then you're gone and you don't come back till Easter. No, I am standing next to you. I'm committing myself to help deliver whatever God has placed inside of you. That's my life call. And lo and behold, you will find, because that's how it happened for me. When you start doing that for someone else, God births in you. So going back, I'm closing with this, and then we'll do some Q&A. When we were in that four-year season of waiting, it took me about a year before I could go to my prayer room and ask God for a child again. I was low, depressed. I loved God. I wasn't angry with him, but I was very hurt and disappointed. And I've always been a prayer warrior. So I would still go to my prayer, uh, my prayer room, but it was just groans that would come out. 
But I love it because it says that he even understands that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that we don't understand. So I always believe Holy Spirit was right there next to me saying, girl, I got this. Just grieve. I'm right here with you. And then one day I'm up there praying and I finally felt, okay, God. And I just started crying. I said, God, give us a child. I know you can. And I start quoting verses and by his wounds and stripes we are healed and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just trying to get all spiritual, right? And I just feel a tap on the shoulder. And I felt it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, are you done? And I was like, what do you mean am I done? I am pouring my heart out before you like Hannah. What do you mean? Isn't that just like the Holy Spirit, though? He's so real and raw. He's like, no, are you done? I've got your miracle. But I need you to intercede like that for some other barren women. If you start praying for them, I'll take care of this. So you know what I did? Remember that friend list that I told you? It was a list of 12. That list grew up to almost 100 women, little by little, not overnight. People I would meet, even at some of the events, the hosts that would take, you know, take us to the hotel and stuff, just hearing their stories, put them on that list. And every Tuesday, it was my breakthrough prayer list for other women. Pastors, some were people that physically were barren, couldn't have children. Some were going through barren seasons in their life, in their marriage, with their kids, in their ministries. And I just began to pray for them. And there were certain times the Lord would say, send them this word. I want you to send them this verse. And just out of obedience, I would do it. That was four years. During those four years, three of them that were told by doctors they would never conceive gave birth to babies. And then in our church, six babies, I mean, six women just getting pregnant. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I remember telling the Lord that day I was so spirit-filled. I was so excited because I was just seeing what God was doing. I said, God... Jay, David's going to be one of those, or my baby, you know, he's going to be at the end of this. After this season of harvest of babies, our baby's going to be a part of it. And God, as it, is with all, as it is with my womb and as it is with my baby, so it will be with our church and ministry. <laughs> be careful what you pray. Because he was the last one in that whole influx. Now we've got some new ones, generation rising of pregnant mamas, but he was the last one in that whole period. And just as I had prayed it, bold prayers, God hears them. I said, just as it is with him, so it will be with our church. Can I tell you that our church, we've been there eight years, it'll be nine years now, actually nine years at our church, and we have just been praying for breakthrough for I mean, we are in the heart of, you talk about prostitutes walk around in that neighborhood. You talk about people coming in demon-possessed, bound by witchcraft, drug, uh, you know, addicted to drugs or alcohol, broken families. I mean, it is exactly where the church needs to be. And for a while, it just felt like we were stagnant. We kept praying and praying and fasting. And we would have these 5.30 a.m. prayers uh, once a month at, during certain periods of the year. And, and people would come, hundreds of people would come to 5.30 a.m. prayer meeting. But we're like, but what's, nothing's changing. Like what we're, we're feeling in our spirit should happen. And then guess what happens? In December, well, we receive a word in October that confirms what God had already spoken to us. And then in December, before Christmas, when you would least expect a revival to break out, Christmas was our revival. And it has not stopped. I'm talking signs and wonders happening right there at the altar. People baptized, Catholic people. They don't know this. They didn't grow up in churchism. 
and they are getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. A woman just testified last week. She went through our January 21-day fast, and she had a 10-year-old, and then after that for 10 years was never able to have a child again. And the doctors told her, you have a cyst, you have different things on your ovaries, and it's keeping you from having a child. So during her fast, and she's coming from Catholicism, she hasn't been in the church maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, her and her husband, and she comes in and she says, I'm going to fast. I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it. And I'm praying for healing for my body. Well, the week after our celebration Sunday, after 21 days fast, uh, 21 day fast, she goes to the doctor. They take x-rays because it was time for a checkup. The sister completely gone. Then the next week for whatever, she had another checkup. Something else was happening. She goes in and they tell her, man, your sister gone, but you're pregnant. How can this happen? And so here she is. God can only do this. And God is literally bringing a fresh wind through our church and our community. Let me tell you, what, what do I attribute it to? Oh, to go back to J. David. That's the time J. David starts to speak and he starts to walk. And we literally feel our church is mobilized and it's walking. It's walking out into our community. We've adopted two schools in our neighborhood. They're just down the block. Hey, we're going to own them. We're going to be our territory. We're going to pray for you. We're going to partner with you. And so that's what we've done. And God is doing the rest. So I just want to encourage you, ladies, whatever it is that God has called you to do, God needs you. But every area, the enemy will use any one of these areas to discourage you in the process. So keep that before the Lord and give attention to those areas so that you can live out everything God's called you to do. Amen? It's 1220. Sister Bridget, do we have time for a few questions? Okay, a few questions, and then you guys have lunch, right? 1230? Okay. Any questions? Or if no questions, we'll go eat. Yes, ma'am. I would always look not just for those that want to come alongside and do that, but even if they're not your ideal of what you think, where they should be at that level and at that time to assume responsibility or take that role, if it's a young girl, if it's somebody who maybe is not there yet, but she's got the fire in her, she's got that potential, why not start investing in her and pouring into her and then let it organically happen? Rather than, I think sometimes when we do do that with individuals of, hey, you know, I'm going to start training you, mentor you, and then you're going to take this. Oh, no. Let it just happen organically. Let the Holy Spirit be the one to deal with their hearts. Uh, and look at, open your eyes to those that maybe you normally would, would not look at. Anybody else? Y'all have been an awesome audience. And I pray blessings over your lives and ministries. Y'all be blessed. Keep doing what you're doing, ladies. You are making a difference. Amen. God bless you.